Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back, Chase Thomas podcast. Taping this early on a Friday. Chris Domino, co-host of Nick and Chris on Six Eighty, the fan, also the host of the Harball uh, MLB podcast that you should go check out as well. Uh, Chris Domino, sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks. Sorry about the different type of accommodations today, but uh, <laughs> I think I told you I have a senior daughter, and this is sort of not only her last go around the sun, but mine as well. She's a soccer player and heading over to Jekyll Island for the weekend to watch her play. Well, that's good. You're being a good dad, and uh, <laughs> I've never been. I've never been to Jekyll Island. Have you been there before? I have, but it's been a really long time. Um, yeah, this is kind of a nice added. I don't normally take a whole bunch of days off, but uh, as I said, this is last go round for this trip for this group of girls, uh, eight seniors who I've known, you know, for a while now, and some of them a little bit longer than that because of club soccer. So, yeah, the parents are going to get a chance to get together and 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 as the regular season will wind down in the next month or so and get ready for state playoffs. This is one of those where you go. I know it's the girls' tournament, but I think more parents, I think, over the last couple of days realized that they wanted to be a part of it. That's awesome. Is this going to make you an empty nester or no? It will. Uh, I have a sophomore in college, and it looks Mm -hmm. like they'll both actually be going to the same school next year as well. So (laughs) there's a a chance we become empty nesters – a couple of hours away so we'll find out how often they come home but yeah believe me my wife thinks i'm going to be more upset with the whole thing than she is Mm. um well there you go it's a it's a circle life it's also a good thing right like it's good yeah Yeah. that's what it's supposed to happen right i i'm i'm mostly i'm mostly okay with it i think there's just certain things that i'm gonna miss um but again, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to how they develop over the next few years, sort of really being out on their own and, and handling that part of it. Absolutely. Um, in terms of hardball, Chris, I want to ask you this. Yeah. The hardball interview you wanted but did not get before that player passed away was who? Uh, well, there's one that's still alive. The white whale is Sandy Koufax. And hmm. I've met Mr. Koufax twice. I actually... Many years ago, he's a big basketball fan. You know, people have told you. You know, the the story is he was a better basketball player than baseball player, and he's still Mm. a big college basketball fan. He's a Kansas fan. And when Kansas was playing in New Orleans many years ago in a Final Four, I I rouletted the hotel thing. I found out where Kansas was staying, and sure enough, Sandy Koufax was under his own name. We ended up talking on the phone for over 15 minutes. Long story, my dad with Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax did a few years of basic training. Uh, There's a couple of pictures that we actually have, and I explained to him, you know, he had done this with my dad, and I had met him courtesy of, I think at that point, Al Leiter, down in Florida, down in uh, Vero. And we ended up talking for over 15 minutes, and then when I asked him, I said, hey, I'd love to maybe... He cut me off mid-sentence, and then he said, hasn't this been just enough? So that was his way of saying he doesn't really do interviews, and very pleasant. I did see him one other time after that, and he said, oh, I hope I was polite. I said, you were extremely polite, but message received. He, if you really think about it, 
uh, he's sort of the Neil Armstrong of the sports world in that it's just nothing he needs. He doesn't need to talk about himself. He doesn't need me or anybody else talking about him. The work was the work, and he's certainly enjoyed his one-person joke to me. Sandy Koufax is the only true living legend who's only had one phone number for 30 years because nobody either has the number or nobody has the nerve to call him because they know what the answer is going to be. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The best MLB legend at explaining the game in a simple, easy to understand way has been who for you? Tony Gwynn. Hmm. Tony, Tony Gwynn is my favorite out of Atlanta baseball player that I was fortunate enough to get a relationship with. Every time, because it was only once, I never saw him in spring training because they were out in Arizona. But every time San Diego came in, and I'm not sure how many years it took to sort of just see him, but he would give me time pregame one of the three or four games at two o'clock in the afternoon. He came on the show, the regular show, a couple of times, and I did a, a hardball episode with him that, and I kept in touch with him a little bit, and I got to know Tony Gwynn Jr. a little bit after his dad's passing, uh, where I was able to send Tony's widow and Tony a couple of the interviews that I had done with him because they started to accumulate some of those types of things. But great laugh. Um, just really, if you look, sporting news, and, and that's like an old man thing. Sorry, that's that's like newspaper, print, and people on typewriters back in the old days used to write these articles and then send them in someplace. But he actually did some things with Stan Usual, and he told me about his relationship with Ted Williams. That was really fascinating because... You know, generationally, maybe some of the, the language has changed. You get golf and more basically some of the advanced principles of being that, that good at something. Uh, Tony's, the, Tony's the best baseball conversation I've had. Now, Chipper Jones is incredible because not only getting to know him personally, but Chipper's People talk about this this memory, and I've never met anybody who can tell me more about specific at-bats, and not only his, but other people's in certain games. I'll give you a quick one. There was a game where uh, Roy Halladay threw a no-hitter in a postseason game. Frank Wren, the then general manager of the Braves, comes out. We're in San Francisco for a Braves playoff series. And Frank Brain comes out and says, Chipper Jones just called the last 24 pitches of Roy Halley's no-hitter. Like, he just literally, location and what he was going to throw. So Chipper, probably as good as anybody I've ever talked to that had the memory, but also had an anticipation and a baseball IQ that he could break it down in the layman's terms as well. That's interesting. Um, the biggest difference between how folks in the South view baseball uh, than folks in the North view baseball you found is what? multi-generational up north football down in the south where you plant your can't be maybe dad roots for this team well therefore you know my during my rebellious years i'll root for the other guys but you choose a side mm. like emphatically in baseball my dad grew up in brooklyn i was born in brooklyn 
uh, I know more about the, the 40s and 50s Brooklyn Dodgers than I really should because I wasn't born until 63. Mm. But my dad was never going to become a Yankee fan. So when the Dodgers left and he wouldn't move for the Dodgers because they did leave, we had to wait for the New York Mets to come back as a National League team. So we became a very, very big Met household after that. So the, the progression of how and why is is much more multi-generational. The Braves come here at 66. You know, if you're talking about the Yankees, the Dodgers and the Giants, we're talking about, you know, back to the early 1900s. And then the Mets in 62, for a lot of people, became the de facto team that they sort of not only grew up rooting for, but but the next generation of National League fans were Brooklyn Dodger fans converted to Mets fans. Interesting. Um, how do you watch Braves games? I'm always curious, like, people's uh, just kind of – uh, what they do to uh, take notes, to prepare, to really make sure that they're di digesting everything that's going on in games. And like I have my legal pad that I do for all of my games and stuff yeah. that I write down. What do you do when you're watching baseball? I, uh, rarely do I. I have pen and paper close. It's funny you say that. I think now with the record or the quick ability to send a text or an email to yourself, I've gotten a little bit more into that. I'll keep an email open, capital letters. I'll type something if I just want to make sure that I remember it the next day. Mm. Um, I, you know, it's I, I don't do I don't do pen and paper the way that I used to, and I didn't do it that much even back then. I'll, mm. I'll, I'll tell you something else. One of the differences. It's interesting. I'll go back to the north versus south thing. <clears throat> I think Atlanta. I think we're a little bit more results oriented. Four two, we won. You know, you certainly have highlights. <clears throat> the two run home run, uh, the one two three inning in the ninth. But I think up north, and the game has changed a little bit because it used to be more bunting, stealing, hit and runs. I think up north they sort of get into a little bit more of the weeds or the, uh, the minutia of a game. We don't really do a ton of, unless there's a blunder, base running error, guy thrown out of third, guy thrown out at home, uh, that, you know, we don't, I, look, I, I know a lot of statistics, I have a pretty good memory, um, I think I became known as sort of a stats guy, but not new age stats, I'm certainly, I think, a little bit more old school, uh, an appreciation for everything that's that's done in baseball today, but I'm kind of more of a eyeballs and heartbeats guy. I don't want to get buried in ERAs and I don't want to get buried in, you know, whatever the minutia myself. I just think, I think there's a place for that, but I don't think the general audience on a sports talk. show is that unless probably wrong. I don't think I want to play the, Oh, let's look at these three outs and let's look at these three outs because I, I almost think it takes a little bit of the joy away from the game. I, baseball's numbers historically are the most important in sports by by a ton. But I, I just don't think the conversation lends itself. And what do you have to do to be a little bit better tomorrow? I like that. Um, how is it? 
how has Nick changed since you first started uh, doing a show with him? And how would he say you have changed, do you think? Uh, we, we are known as the show of honesty. We call each other out daily. If there's BS going on, it's called out. Now, we have, we, we, our, our unwritten rule is if we didn't see it, we said so. We don't lie. We don't fudge. We don't look to put the other guy in a bad spot. Uh, on the show, except when it could lend itself to being funny or we're going to call each other out. So we've worked together 25 years now. I think it's 25 years. Um, He is not as, I'll put it this way. He has his moments during the breaks, but they're more during the breaks than they used to be on air. We (laughs) joke he doesn't want to be me, and I don't want to be him, and I think that really helps. Uh, he is less likely. So on Twitter, he will still get into Twitter beef with people, and mm. I can't. I can't even believe it. So my line to him has always been: some people need because just don't hit it. Don't hit send. Go to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how we're a little bit different, but it's less and less for him. We joke about some of the interns and even a producer or a board guy. They have no idea what it would have been like. He he is not. I'm great at passive aggressive. Like if I mm-hmm. like some people are, are great at math. Other people are incredible artists musically. The ability to draw. I have none of those skills. But oh, I am a maestro. I am a I'm a sous chef. When it comes to passive aggressive, he's mm. just aggressive. He's just aggressive aggressive. He doesn't have passive aggressive in his arsenal. He has aggressive aggressive, but it's less than it's ever been. Mm. We joke about Dr. John. Um, we joke about taking pills. You know, I I, I just turned sixty. I spent mm-hmm. the first fifty nine years of my life never taking a pill. I take three a day now, and I blame my oh, wow. daughters. Like that's the running joke in the house. Um, yeah, one of them is I. I'm definitely, I'm definitely more anxious than I've ever been, and I think it's teenage girls. I think it's been college choices, uh, social media for them, not me. So we talk about it on air a lot, and I think the show is funnier, and I think it's. You know, again, I don't, I don't say whether the show is good or bad. That's for other people to decide. I don't think there's a more relatable show that I've heard. And I travel a little bit, and I listen to other people, and I listen to national people, and I know what everybody's shtick is or what their not shtick is, you know, the dry part of maybe some people's personalities on the air. I don't think there's a show that's more relatable. There's been divorce. There's been no kids. There's been kids. There's been colleges, there's been boyfriends, there's been all of those things. Yeah, I, I just think we're a relatable show, and that that to me matters more than maybe anything else anybody could say. I, we, we've had more, I'll, I will say this, in 25 years, there's never been a local show, local and I'll put it up against a bunch of national shows. There's never been a local show that has had a more varied, longer, more impressive list of guests than our show. And I will guarantee, I don't care. Like, there's no show that has from John Glenn 
to John McCain, to Chuck Yeager, to Sir Edmund Hillary. Um, I've, I've talked with President Carter. Uh, yeah, I, and then more Hall of Famers. Nick and I are both children of, I'm more of a children, child of the 70s, but he's a child of the 70s into the early 80s. We have absolutely, we know the history of the game, and we've gone back to speak to old Lakers, old Celtics, Walt Frazier uh, in baseball. He grew up in Cleveland, me in New York. We have gone to the well of Tom Seaver and others. So we, we had O.J. Simpson on for 45 minutes after he killed two people. Um, yeah, we <laughs> we had the first Heisman Trophy winner. Or Jay Burwanger, 1936 on. So I think the other thing that we've tried to do is we thought if there was a story that was interesting to us, there'd be enough people who were interested in it as well. Uh, as far as me changing, I, I'm... I'm less intense. I was never angry, but I was always intense. I got a type A personality. I have tried to over the last couple of years off. Uh, maybe it's judgmental relationship, and I'm good with that. Now I, I, Um, switching to the Braves, um, here, um, Chris, the yeah. Braves, I'm, I'm curious about this from you. The Braves fifth starter will be who will it be Bryce Elwood. It will it be Ian Anderson. Do you think it'll be Mike Soroka based on what you've seen thus far? What does your gut tell you who the Braves fifth starter on opening day will be? I think it's Ian Anderson. I don't think Michael hmm. can get ready in time. Uh, I like Elder a lot. You know, we're, we don't live in a world where just take your what used to be a 10 or 11 pitchers. Now it's 13. We don't live in a world where it's take your best 13 and take the ones who aren't starting and put them in the bullpen because you can't do that. So if Bryce Elder's down in the minors or if Michael Soroka needs a starter to someplace else, rehab or not, um, I think Anderson wins the job. I think it's his to hold on to and then let the games begin. And, you know, I, I certainly am rooting for Mike Soroka. I certainly think Mike Soroka, talent-wise, really proved what he can do at the major league level. But you're always going to have to have a bullpen of starters. And those guys don't stay up in the majors. They go get starts down in AAA. So I think Ian Anderson could be the guy that, that jumps the job early. Uh, Kyle Wright's interesting because hopefully there's no setbacks and he's ready to go in the second series, which could ultimately affect whether I think Bryce Elder could be on the opening day roster waiting for Kyle Wright, maybe in series two on the road. Jeff Schultz of the athletic front of the program. He wrote a good piece on Ozzy Albies um, this week. And I think he's uh, no question a fan favorite back in Atlanta. And 
obviously uh, him being out of the lineup last year multiple times, uh, we both broke our foot uh, in 2022 <laughs> for different uh, reasons, uh, I will say. But um, mine was actually the week of my wedding, Chris. Uh, but um, I was curious because it's like he's going to be a leadership guy by default just because of his longevity with the group, um, coming up with Snicker and everyone's gone like all those leaders from uh what he, who he came up with are are gone and he's just kind of this de facto leader and i wonder from your perspective like with dansby out freddie freeman out and just a lot of those guys gone it's like aj minter it's um <laughs> it's max freed and ozzy alvey's really do you think there is something to there maybe being a leadership void uh coming into this year where there might be some struggles trying to figure out who the new vocal keep everybody going through a long 162 game slog that we're not anticipating before uh, coming into the year as Braves fans. So let me start with, I don't really believe in that. I'm not a big believer, you know, it's seven months and I certainly know that you spend more time with these guys than you do your own families. Mm. To me, it's about relationships and I don't think it's about, you know, I don't want to get into bad B movies where guys are flipping over tables, coleslaws going all over the place. This really doesn't happen. It really mm. doesn't. You know, whether Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman wasn't a speech guy. Dansby wasn't a speech guy. Um, to me, I don't even think it's a de facto with Ozzy. I think it's his personality, his ability to want to work the way that he does. I think that the type of player, what you're asking him to do, he's emotional in a good way. He keeps it loose. His exchanges with Ron Washington alone might be some of the funniest things I've been around 30 years in baseball. So I think there's a respect. Austin Riley's a worker. Matt Olson, I believe, is a worker. Uh, Ozzie's certainly a worker. I think that's the respect and the leadership thing. I don't think anybody is allowed to pick up a crown and just put it on your head and declare yourself anything, especially in the world of sports. That's just sort of a BS thing. I think every once in a while you want to bring a veteran in, not to necessarily just Yoda in the middle of the room, but there are guys that I think have been that. They've been there, done it, and I think there's a respect that comes with that. I think this team, because of the postseasons the last few years, they don't need an outsider. They've got it in-house, and Look, Brian Snicker is like Bobby. He'll treat men like men until they prove they can't handle it. And if you look at the staff that he has, how veteran it is. And I'm old enough now where, you know, I've gone through multiples of generations where I've had personal relationships with the Chipper Glavin Smoltz group. And, And then it was the the early 2000s, the McGriffs, and then it became the uh, Francois McCanns. Now, because of my age, and, and quite honestly, because I'm not in the clubhouse pregame because it not as much work gets done in there anymore, I'm, I gravitate towards the coaches. So my relationships are wall wall Sal Fasano, Ron Washington, Seitzer, uh, obviously Sid himself, uh, Rick Kranitz, who I've held over the last couple. Those guys tell me more than a player ever will in terms of how to pitch on the air, 
or to tell somebody like you, oh, woe was us, because this guy is truly the leader. It, it's, it's not the relationship with him. His honesty has led him to say to us out loud, and, and the Braves fans, I think now more in general, he looks at the player every bit as much as the talent, and for a few years, maybe in Toronto, that wasn't the case. There really isn't a turd around here. So I think the lack of turd thing means that you don't really need full-blown leadership or the guy who says, hey, fellas, no more of this, no more of that, because I don't think you have guys who are really in it for the me part of this right now. I like it. A couple other quick things, and the Braves will wrap up here, Chris. Um, The best one through nine lineup for Atlanta this year will be who for you, if you had to guess? So the totality? Yeah, just one through nine. When you look back at the end of the year, we'll be like, this is the one through nine that you want come playoff time. This is the one you trust the most. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of Ronald Acuna leading off. Boy, do I get blowback on that. You know, hitting Hmm. a home run to lead off a game, it's nice. It's a trick. Uh, I'd rather have him hitting three. I think Matt Hmm. also could be an incredible two-hitter. I think Michael Harris might have an ability or maybe even Ozzy have an ability to lead off. I'm just not a fan of, of Ronald. And I get it. More at-bats, set a tone for the game. Um, lineup structure, again, 60 years old. I know what it used to be compared to what it is now. I know how the math of it comes into play much more than it ever did. I know that you hide a guy in you know, left field, the, the Greg Luzinskis and those types of guys. Now we have a DH, so I don't have to do that. I think the biggest problem for this team is I'm not going to ask Juan Grissom to quote-unquote hit every day. I am going to ask him to make every play at shortstop. Marcelo Zuna slash Eddie Rosario comes becomes the problem for me because Marcelo should never have a glove on his hand. I don't care what he says about his shoulder being more healed. And Eddie Rosario, I'm a little bit surprised he went to the World Baseball Classic coming off of last year. But I need him to play left field and really hit if, I, if I'm going to struggle maybe at the DH spot where you're really not supposed to struggle as a team. Marcelo Zuna, the fact that the DH is in play, if you look back to the day he signed his extension, this was perfect. I mean, it was, mm. when are we going to get the full-time DH? Because that's what this guy's supposed to be doing. And we found out as he tried to play in the field, it was even worse than anybody would have thought. Uh, I'm My concern with this lineup is the DH left field thing. Now, hmm. I don't know. I like Kevin Pillar a lot. I like Kevin Pillar, the guy. I like the back of his baseball card to some degree. I like the fact that he's hard-nosed. He's not a center fielder anymore. His body got a little bit banged up in the last couple of years. But I hope there is an open competition. Because I, I, I think Kevin Pillar is the type of guy that could push Eddie Rosario for ABs. I think he's the type of guy that if Marcelo Zuna who I think has got 30 days max to prove he can still hit. If not, I think the Braves are going to eat the rest of the salary. They're still going to have to find a DH. I I don't know where it's going to come from. There's not a DH-type bat. I wish Nelson Cruz maybe was here for a year. Uh, But I think Pilar and Rosario, along with Travis Darno, might actually be doing the DHing thing more than Marcelo Zuna will ever get a chance to over the course of the year. Final question for you, Chris. Von Grissom, do you think he sticks at shortstop for the full year? Yeah, I think so. Look, I, if you're supposed to be competing to win a World Series, you better have a shortstop that you want to pencil in every day. Now, where you want to hit him 
doesn't matter as much as long as the double play is turned. If it's not working, do I think Alex Anthopoulos is going to make a move? Yeah, I do. I don't think he was – I didn't think he was going to do it this March. I think that we're going to give uh, Grissom a chance to be the guy. But if it's not working out by the trade deadline, I think Alex Anthopoulos is the import of the position and is not going to let that be a problem for the second half of the year and certainly not for a postseason push or the actual postseason itself. But if I had $10 on the table, I think Grissom absolutely gets the shot. And I think he's I think he's good enough at what they're going to ask him to do to be the guy every day as long as he stays healthy. I like it. Chris, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you making the time uh, this morning to talk a little baseball, talk a little sports radio, talk a little Atlanta fatherhood. Uh, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to get into all that and – uh, again, just uh, appreciate you making the time. Go listen to Chris, uh, Nick and Chris over on 680 The Fan each and every day around the lunch hour. Uh, um, every single day, Monday through Friday. Uh, but thank you uh, again for the time. I greatly appreciate it. And we'll have to reconvene again soon. Yeah, we will do that. Let's get them. Uh, we'll let them get a handful plus of games under their belt. And we'll catch up at that point. All right. Sounds great, Chris. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Chase. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.